Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, your Divorce Survival Guide, Kate Anthony. So today we are continuing our mini series on abuse, which is turning into a mega series, I think. And today I have with me Sarah McDougall. Sarah is a speaker, a trainer, and abuse recovery coach who works exclusively with women wounded by toxic relationships in the faith community. What? Sarah has published three books, One Face, Shed the Mask, Own Your Values and Lead Wisely, Myths We Believe, Predators We Trust, 37 Things You Don't Want to Know About Abuse in Church, and Safe Churches Responding to Abuse in the Faith Community. I'm simply going to turn this conversation over to Sarah because she's the expert in this, and our conversation, I think, is super important. So here she is. Hey, Sarah. I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, it didn't take us like a year to get here or anything like did it. It literally did. <laughs> if, yeah. not, if not longer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you first messaged me, I had just found out, I think the beginning of that I was looking like I might be possibly getting diagnosed with cancer and my whole life was on hold. And I was just like, I don't think I can handle my podcast right now, but I love the idea. Thanks. And so here yeah. we are. <laughs> and I was like, you go do you and I'll yeah. talk to you when you're better. And here yes. we are. And here we and are. Here and we are in remission. Here we and are. Yes. I'm just so, so happy. So me too. Yay. Believe me. Oh my gosh. So, all right. We are here having a conversation about what this, your wheelhouse, which is abuse within the church. And also, mm-hmm. as I said, sort of like using, there's like, there's, the church as abuser. And then there's also using the church as a weapon of abuse. If you, if you know what I mean, right. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Whether the church is abusing or enabling abusers. And sometimes that boils down to honestly, the fundamental theologies underneath the surface and what we believe underneath about power and control and all of these things. Say more about that. About the, about oh, the well, fundamental theologies. I mean, what the is the fundamental that? theologies? That okay. What does okay, that mean? So, so I mean, <laughs> back it up. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's pull back from, from the weeds <laughs> and let's like look at the whole forest here right, for a second. Yeah. Um, I mean, I work with women who are wounded by toxic relationships, abusive relationships, domestic violence, et cetera, in the faith community. So when I'm talking about that, first, we have to recognize that abuse happens a lot 
in the faith community. And we would like to think, oh, well, you know, hey, churches, church is a safe place, right? Church is where we can let our hair down. Church is where everybody's happy. Church is where everybody trustworthy. No. The right. short answer to that is no, right. it's not. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as in a, I'm right, you're wrong. I just mean that as in a no, That's- we need to reframe this. Right. Because there's a lot of naivety in that kind of assumption. Church is actually a place where, first of all, predators flock to the unmonitored, trust-filled, forgiven-ridden environment of faith communities because they know that if you are charming, capable, and come across with as powerful and indispensable and helpful, the church community will rally behind you no matter what a victim says. And traditionally, let's just take the, it has been that know, way, the sexual abuse in the Catholic church, like as, as prime example, right? I mean, absolutely. Like, couldn't get and, more and black and white than that. The Catholic church. I mean, look at the Southern Baptist convention. Look at the, the stuff that's come out this in 2021 with Ravi Zacharias. Look at the stuff with Carl Lentz. Look at the, the Hillsong, Willow Creek, Bill Hybels. I mean, we got so many illustrations mm-hmm. of how abuse has thrived behind the curtain, kind of behind the veil mm-hmm. of parent holiness. But I think it's more than just, oh, well, this happens in church too. Very often our church's theologies drive it. And I mean that across every denomination. You can't say, oh, well, Calvinists are more abusive than Armenians or vice versa, depending on what you believe and whether or not you believe something that sounds really rigid or sounds really filled with grace. It it isn't really about there being more abuse in one versus the other. It's more about having closed communities where there is a lot of things handled inside, we, we take care of this internally. Mm-hmm, right. And where there is a vested interest in making sure that the public image stays a certain way. Okay. And that carries over into the home as well. We don't, we don't want people to think we're not put together. Right. Right. We don't want people to think badly of our faith community, our congregation, our role in the community, our public example. We don't want to let God down. We don't want to betray God's God's perspective on things. Uh, We don't want to make it look like Christians aren't holy. And any of this rhetoric is actually image management. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it allows for, it creates the space for an us versus them, very dichotomous thinking, very black and white. And that is a, a an infrastructure that allows for high levels of control. And the thing is, when that happens in the faith community, we are misrepresenting God's character nonstop. Because God is not a God of control. He is a God of free choice. There are, there are two tools that God uses for us to make decisions. And those are love and truth. Mm. He says, I love you. I don't just love you. I am 
love. I am the incarnate embodiment of love. And I will tell you the truth so that you can make a fully informed decision. You can choose sin. You can choose righteousness. This is what will happen if you choose either one. You get the facts and then you get to make the choice. You can make the decision. But Satan, if we're talking now, I'm talking in a Judeo-Christian kind of faith context here. And I'm sure you have listeners who may not be coming from this, but, but still, at least in the United States, in the Western hemisphere, a lot of us have been touched by the good and evil, the controversy between good and evil and the, the battle between positive forces and negative forces. And I, I think it's applicable, even if someone isn't actively involved in a church in a church community right now. So I kind of like to throw that out there. I think, no, I think that's a really good, I think that's a great point, right? That, that we're Mm -hmm. inviting listeners to listen beyond the words, God and Satan and listen for what might resonate, right? In, in the work that I do with women, it's, you know, it could be your inner guide and your inner critic, right? It could any of the, or good and evil, black and white, all anything, anything, Mm -hmm. but we are talking in a, in a Judeo-Christian Yeah. In that faith construct. And and that's where my work primarily is. Although I'm followed by a, you know, I have a lot of people in my audience who may or may not, a lot of them are deconstructed and they're kind of like, yeah, I used to think all that stuff, but now I don't even know. And that's fine too. I'm, I'm not judging anyone's journey, Mm -hmm. but yeah, as we, as we look at this using that terminology, so God uses love and, and facts, the truth, Mm -hmm. that's it. And Mm -hmm. then, but, but Satan, he, he has every other tool enticement, bribery, trickery, betrayal, coercion, manipulation, intimidation, isolation, force, all of these things are in his toolbox, Mm. right? So when we use any of those things in our theologies inside the Christian church, we are misrepresenting the character of God. If we are choosing to force people, to control people, to intimidate people, to tell them to shut up about things that are true, to keep sin silent under the rug behind behind closed doors, to handle things internally instead of telling the truth and exposing sin. Ephesians 5, expose sin, live in the light. Hmm. Same in Galatians 5. It's all throughout scripture. Isaiah 58, Shout aloud, cry out from the rooftops, tell my people of their sin. So all of these things, and I'm and I'm not talking about just being that obnoxious person who goes around telling everyone where they're wrong. I'm talking about when we refuse to expose actual sin that is harming people mm-hmm. because we want to look good on the outside, we are living in an abusive system. Mm. It is an abusive church system. It is an abusive faith community by its very infrastructure, because it is using tools like control and manipulation in order to get the result that they want. Yes, we we think of church as it being intended to be a place of safety, but if our church structure is more concerned about how we look to the outside world, about keeping up appearances, about following a certain, towing a certain line, rather than exposing sin and keeping the vulnerable safe, then we are misrepresenting the character of God. And isn't that essentially the core of Jesus's teachings? 
Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 1,000%. Isn't that kind of the, like, the basic tenet of like the entire thing? This is what, this is what has always. The whole thing. The whole thing. I mean, <laughs> James, this is pure religion to care for the widows and the orphans. The vulnerable among you, the women and the children, take care of them, keep them safe, not exploit them. Right. Care for them, keep them safe. Keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Protect them. The poor, immigrants, yes. <laughs> like all of that. You know uh, what? We got to be really careful. Everyone's going to be writing us off as just like these random social justice warriors that, you know, like, oh my goodness, we can't listen to that. Oh, they are. They know that. They know that about they, me. They know that about you. They already know that about me. You're good. You're good. <laughs> You're good. I'm like, when people start getting off on that, I'm like, so you have just taken scissors and you've cut out the books of Isaiah and Psalms and Ezekiel, and you've just ripped those right out of your Bible, right? I mean, it's, and I get that it's, that it can be confusing. Like, look, I am no theologian. It drives me crazy. You know, one of the things that I will say is, you know, I, I studied the Bible in school because it's, I think probably the most important historical text (laughs) of all time. Right. So like I read it in school and I studied it. Right. Nowadays they can't, they can't teach the Bible in school because it's considered religious as opposed to consider considered historical. Right. Right. So I hate the fact that like my son is not, has not studied the Bible and like, he'll say something. I'll be like, Oh, that's from the Bible. He's like, it is. I'm like, yeah, you should read it sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but I mean, look, if, first of all, like if anyone's going to, I mean, Jesus was, as far as I'm concerned, he was the original social justice warrior, right? I mean, he, I think that the term social justice warrior has gotten a bad rap in certain circles Mm -hmm. because of certain people choosing to go about it, Mm -hmm. even if they have had good intentions, but to go about it in a way that again, misrepresents the character of God. Yes. Very aggressively, very aggressively. aggressively. And yes, Mm -hmm. very much like on the war path and willing to wipe out anyone who disagrees with them. Mm -hmm. But again, that is not how we see Jesus interacting with people. So we have to not divorce. Haha. I've been a podcast about divorce. We have to not divorce (laughs) the message of what we are doing if we are if we are teaching a message that is good that represents god's character we have to not divorce it from how we deliver the message by delivering it in a way that misrepresents god's character so if we are ugly and controlling and unkind as we are telling people you need to take care of all the poor people in your in your community you know then, yeah. then we're not acting like god <laughs> right. and so we are we're cutting our own message off at the knees so i tend to kind of avoid some of those terminologies simply because people have these traumatized reactions to certain mm-hmm. phrases yeah yeah anyway. totally 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 so okay what women are experiencing, right? Because my, my audience is mostly mm-hmm. women okay. and many of them are experiencing, I think that they are of the most vulnerable to this. I think most churches and faith-based communities are patriarchal in in their core foundation, right? So those who carry the greater level of power in the majority of faith communities tend to be men. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Especially conservative faith communities. 
And so many of them are experiencing emotional abuse, some of them domestic violence, some of them physical Mm -hmm. abuse, emotional, psychologically, but some form of control in their marriages, right? And sometimes the place that they go to, you know, for help will be their pastor, right? They'll go to the church for help. Right. And right. they'll be told, what are, what are some of the things that you've seen that, that people are told <laughs> when they go to their church for, quote, help? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so some of the most popular ones are, well, you just need to be more forgiving. Mm. You need to let go of this root of bitterness. Uh-huh. You need to go home and pray harder. Uh, you need to submit better. Uh-huh. You need to make sure you are more sexually available. Mm. You need to do whatever you can not to trigger his, his outbursts. You need to be, to show the love of Christ to him and love him like Christ would, even if he's being, even if he's being abusive, even if he's being violent, even if you're not safe, even if your children are in danger. Now I want to stop right here. I absolutely believe that we should love like Christ does. I also absolutely believe that Jesus Christ does not call women to go and enable sin and allow themselves to be passively sinned against with impunity because that is not good for the character of the abuser. So if we are talking about loving well, then we are talking about doing what is best to bring both to repentance and to safety. Mm -hmm. Allowing an abusive husband to continue harming you or your children emotionally, psychologically, physically, sexually, financially, any of these things, allowing your husband to continue sinning against you is not good for his salvation. So that can't be love. Mm -hmm. To go back and to submit to mistreatment allows him to continue in entrenching himself in the habits of harming other people. If you're in this situation though, you're not, I mean, allowing is hard because it presupposes some kind of control, right? (laughs) Well, I I want to, I I make that statement. Yeah. And then there's a lot of unpacking to do with that because, because I'm speaking at this from the perspective of church leader who is telling the woman to go back mm-hmm. and to try to make her husband better by being submissive and forgiving. That's the angle. So right. okay. when a church leader is telling a woman to go back and that she needs, that it's her job to sanctify him, to win him. And I know that that, that Paul talks about this, but he wasn't talking about going back into abuse because he also said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means protecting her, laying down your life for her, putting her interests ahead of yours and doing everything you can to make her safe and, and to make her, to help her thrive as her own entity. So when we tell women as leaders that their job is to go back and to submit to abuse, to submit to mistreatment, the church leader is not loving the abuser well. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because right. they are not, they are telling the wife to submit to sin 
and they are encouraging her and by their own actions as well, they are enabling the abuse to continue. They are enabling the sin to continue. That is not loving the abuser well because it is not calling him to repentance. Now, I don't want anyone to hear the first statement and say, oh, so you think it's the wife's responsibility to set all the boundaries, to make the abuser stop, to be responsible for for ending the abuse. I am not saying this in victim shaming. I'm saying this to the church leader who's giving dangerous advice. Yes. Does that make it clear? Great distinction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great distinction. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. And so what are the church leaders saying to the men in these situations? Because often couples will go together, right? Right. So, you know, it, it varies. Very often the church leaders will say things to the men like, Oh my goodness, I just can't believe you have to put up with this level of crazy, right? Because she she needs to be more forgiving. Like I can understand why you might get mad because like she's so emotional about this stuff. Hmm. Instead of saying, okay, so when you act like Satan at home, you are going to lose your family. You are going to lose trust. So when pastors enable abusers to continue instead of holding them accountable and helping this the, the, the victim to get safe and encouraging her to, to get safe. Mm-hmm. When pastors do that, this is going to sound really strong, but I have a feeling your audience can take it. I'm sure they can. Your pastor is perpetuating the first lie from the Garden of Eden. Now, okay. what was the first lie? The very first lie, the snake in the tree mm-hmm. was talking to Eve And he said, you shall not surely die. You can do what you want, even though God said not to, and you're not going to die. And when pastors tell abusers or create an environment where abusers are not held accountable for their sin against their families, and they tell them, the wife, go home love him more. What they're doing is they're sending the message to abusers. You can do what you want and it's not going to die. Your marriage isn't going to die. Your trust isn't going to die. Your relationship with your spouse, your children is not going to die. And it is a lie because sin kills things. Hatred and violence kills things. It kills trust. It kills hope. It kills health. It kills faith in someone's goodness, it kills safety. It kills relationship. Now, very often, and this is what I was thinking earlier, when mm-hmm. a couple goes together, and I mm-hmm. actually never recommend for, in a, in a really difficult marriage, I, I never recommend for a husband and wife to go together to counseling, especially not for pastoral counseling. But, but very often, you'll see one of two scenarios. The wife will be the one willing to do all the work because she just really wants this yep. to get better, right? Yep. Hundred percent. Yep. See and, all the time. and and the the guy is like, okay, she dragged me here. What are we here for? Mm-hmm. And so the pastor, well-meaning, not trauma informed, untrained, the pastor is like, she's so eager to work on this. So let's let's work with let's her because give her the work. <laughs> let's give her the work. She's here. She's the one who's wanting to work on this. She's the one who's taking the blame. She's willing to own up to what she's doing. Let's give her the work. 
The other situation is where the woman is scared to death. She knows it's going to be used against her. And the husband is like, oh, no, we are going to sit down in front of the pastor and we're going to tell him we're going to do this. And so he comes in and he's saying, she's crazy. Look at what I have to live with. And the pastor goes, oh, bro, man. I can see what you're living with. Look at her. She's like sobbing right here. Like this is totally hysterical woman. Okay. And as a result, they gang up on her. Again, they're giving her the work because she's either the willing party or she's been targeted as the problem. Now, I'm not saying women can't be abusive. And I'm not saying that there's never a marriage situation where the woman has contributed to the problem. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't take that like in one dimension. I'm talking about when there is abuse existing, Uh The husband is perpetrating it. This is how it plays out. So very often you will have pastors who've never been trained to discern abuse. And and, and one of the things that we, we teach is that if both people agree on who the problem is, it's the other one. It's so great. It's so true. It's, it's just it's just a basic rule of thumb. Now, it's good to have healthy self-doubt, but if you go in, if you're a church leader and a couple comes to you and he says, well, you know, so there's all these issues and my wife just like, I, I just can't, you know, I get mad and I can't help myself and, and she does this and then I blow up and it's really, you know, it's because she did this. And she's like, yeah, you're right. I did that. And I'm so sorry. And I want to, I, I just, I begged for forgiveness. And so they're both saying it's her. He says it's her. And then she says, yeah, it's me. It's him. It's him. hundred percent. A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's such, that is such a great rule. I love that rule of thumb. That's, I'm, that's I'm, rule of thumb. Number one. Yep. So here's another really great rule of thumb. I don't know if you have a lot of leaders who listen to your podcast, but all of these women who do listen to your podcast your audience all have pastors all or have church pastors. leaders or community I, I'm gonna leaders. Say, they're so. going to bring this. They're going to bring this episode to their church, and then they're going to yes, hire. They're going to hire Sarah this. to come in and train their their pastors. But I, I actually yes. do. I do I intensive training weekends for, for I know you do. groups of leaders and community leaders. But all that being said, here's here's another great rule of thumb, and that is, if you're a, a, a church leader and you have a couple coming in, take what they say both of them at face value. So if she's like, let's just say he's abusing her. You haven't got that figured out yet. You're not jumping to conclusions, but she says, all I want to do is just like go to my mom's house for six weeks. I just need to, I just need a breather or maybe even just two weeks. I want to go visit my sister for a couple of weeks. I, I just feel like we need some time apart. And, and then you take what she says at face value and say, great, I think you should go. And then if he is coming to you and saying, oh my goodness, you will not believe like my wife is going around telling people crazy stuff. And she's, she's like making all this stuff up about our marriage. You will not believe the type of crazy that I have to live with. Take it at face value. All right. Well then why should you live with that crazy? Why don't you let her go? Yeah. Why don't, why don't you, why don't you separate from her for a while so that you don't have to live with that crazy? The person in general, just as a general rule of thumb, who is refusing to allow the separation to happen is the abuser. Yep. Because at that point, he'll be like, no, she doesn't get to go anywhere. No, no, she doesn't get to go to be with her mom. No, she needs to stay here where with I can me, control where her. I can control her mm-hmm. instead of, so you can, you can, by taking both of them at face value, assume that they're speaking the truth and say, okay, well, if she's that crazy, then 
she, you shouldn't be living in the house. Why you do you, you should be move married out to her. Right? Why yeah. do you want to be married to her? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and then all of a sudden the person who's like, no, got to keep a chokehold on this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's your controller. Yes. Now there could be exceptions to that. Sure. It's not hard and fast, but right. it's a general rule of thumb that can be very helpful. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. You talk about double abuse. Mm -hmm. What is that? Okay. So double double abuse, abuse. double abuse is when the family or the church or even the culture Uh of a victim does not recognize or acknowledge the primary abuse. That's what happened originally. Mm -hmm. And instead they diminish or deny or dismiss it instead of believing and supporting and protecting. So these are the people who could have made it stop right. and didn't. So what we were just talking about, essentially. That's yes. So, so the formal yeah. term for that, and is I think that was actually trademarked by the MIND project out in California. They do tremendous work in double abuse. But yeah, double abuse tend in, it tends to leave an even stronger impact on broken trust in the original abuse. Because that's when you go for help right. and yeah. you get betrayed. Right. So it hurts even more. And it teaches victims. This is where the church breaks down in misrepresenting the character of God, which is really blasphemy. And it's breaking the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. Yeah. Yeah. So if we say we're Christians and then we act in a way that is opposite to God, we're claiming the name of Christian in vain. And that is breaking the third commandment. So it's not a lightweight thing because Mm -hmm. it teaches Mm -hmm. victims that no one will protect them. It teaches victims that, hey, the church won't even help me be safe and help me get protected. So obviously God doesn't care. So we extrapolate, the victim instinctively extrapolates that if the church was no help, God is no help either. And that's such a, and that's so heartbreaking for people that have had a strong faith because you're not just robbing them of their self-esteem and their all of the things that that victims of abuse get robbed of, but you're robbing them of their faith. Yes. Yes. That can be such a, a healing, a healing thing, right? Having faith is such a healing thing for women or people yes. healing from abuse. But when it's when it's sort of co-mingled with an abusive church, then it's destroyed. Yep. And if your identity has been strongly connected to your faith, it attacks the very foundation of your identity as well. For a lot of women who have grown up in very, very strong religious circles, especially conservative faith-based circles where their their faith and their belief system was the infrastructure for everything else. Yes. Right. As opposed to like we're just like typical, normal, everyday people. And then we go to church sometimes, but if their faith was like the framework for everything, then you have this kind of thing happen and it tears at the fabric of your core soul identity. And it can be incredibly devastating. And I actually see that outside of the Judeo-Christian world too. You see that in Judaism, I'm sorry, in the Christian world, you see that in Judaism. Yes. For those who Mm -hmm. were devout Jews. Mm-hmm. And you also see that in Islam because Islam is very intertwined yes. as a faith infrastructure for every aspect of life. So very often women in these three main religions feel that they, they have nowhere to go. They feel incredibly hopeless 
because it has torn apart their picture of deity and divinity. It has torn apart their picture of safety in their faith community and their leaders. And it has torn apart their picture of where they fit in faith as an individual woman. And many times, certainly in more either fundamentalist or not fundamentalist, but but more strict like orthodoxy <laughs> and right, they are actually right. cast, literally cast out of their yes. their their community. Or they stay in the abuse because the only option is being cast out. Right. And that is so terrifying because they have no friends, they have no infrastructure outside of this world that they stay hopeless and helpless and they just wither up and die inside. Mm-hmm. And then you have women who start to have all kinds of autoimmune issues. They start to have health issues. They start to have mental fatigue issues. And it is not because they aren't originally healthy. It's not because they're not brilliant women. It's not because they're not capable and competent. It's because they're living in constant trauma. And that constant trauma environment tears down their health. So it becomes... That is how spiritual, emotional, psychological, verbal, financial abuse, that is how they become physical abuse because it is physical abuse of the brain and the organ tissues. A woman's body begins to break down. I've had women tell me that in their abusive marriages, if their husband was home, they could not go to the bathroom. Hmm. Like they would, they would get constipated mm-hmm. because they couldn't relax enough to eliminate and I know that sounds like sure. TMI, but no, but up? gastrointestinal yeah. issues, sure. yeah. gut tract issues, the gut brain mm-hmm. connection is huge and, and gut yes. issues and whether it's explosive diarrhea or intense constipation or stomach aches or that fluttering in your intestines, those are so closely tied to trauma, to betrayal and to, to a living in abuse. I mean, it's all so true and it's so heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And we see it all What's, over the place, right? I mean, we just see this all yeah. over the place. I'm just thinking about my clients who have had these sorts of issues. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. What? So we were talking, you were listing all the kinds of abuse, right? There's physical and psychological, emotional, mm-hmm. sexual, right? I want to touch on, I think, too, a little bit more the sexual ass component. I think in there's something very strong in, in certainly in Christian, in, in these sorts of church environments, right? In Chris, Christianity, it's not in Christianity, right. but <laughs> right that your your husband is entitled to your body, like that is one of the sort of promises of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And that women do not actually have choice in right in sex in sex or sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a question in here? Because (laughs) (laughs) you guys who are listening right now, you can't see our faces. We're looking at each other's faces. We're just like, yes. I'm like, just go, go with that. Because that's not true. With that, go, Sarah. Go, killing me. You're killing me. Break that down. Well, I mean, look. So it's not right. You see this often with women. First of all, do you see this? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And what is that? Like what, where does that come from? (laughs) Well, there's, there's a text in Paul's writings that is misapplied, woefully misapplied. And that is do not deprive each other except for by agreement for prayer and fasting. And the whole idea that the, the wife of the body of the wife belongs to the husband, the body of the husband belongs to the wife. 
what what I believe that that really means is that there is a base assumption made that we would care very carefully and gently for the health, wellness, and and function of our own bodies. And now in marriage, we have the opportunity to extend that same level of care and support and kindness to the body of our spouse. I would totally be in that relationship. I would like, I would totally. Yeah, I would join that church like a hundred percent. Maybe I should start one. I'm kidding. I think you should. Um, <laughs> no, but but the 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 interpretation of that text it goes back to our very first thing at the beginning of the podcast: love and truth versus coercion and control. Yep. So if Christ loves His church by laying Himself down by giving up all of his rights and power and glory in heaven in order to enter into our reality here as humans, to be like us, to know what it's like to live like us, to sacrifice his life, to pay the price for us. And that is how husbands are meant to to love wives, that level of Mm. sacrificial honor and unselfishness. And husbands, scripturally, Husbands are absolutely called to go first. Mm. First to love, Mm. first to forgive, first through the gate of danger, first to sacrifice, first to die. Mm. That is how Christ went first. Wow. Interesting. First to serve. Hmm. That is how Christ went first. And that is how husbands in the New Testament are called to go first. That is loving as Christ loves. So if we are talking about your body belonging to each other, then it means the same amount of tenderness and care that you would give to yourself because you don't feel good. You are now to give that to your spouse, that love and cherishing. But here's something that's even crazier. I don't know if you have... I'm not sure when this will air. And of course, anybody might listen to this at any other time. But early in 2021, there's a brand new book that has Mm -hmm. just come out called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire, Rebecca Lindenbach, and Joanna Sawatsky. And it is changing the shape of the discussion about sexuality and marriage and sexual satisfaction for women in Christian marriages based on the single largest study of its kind. And it's going into peer-reviewed journals. 22,000 Christian women answered over 150 questions, scientific study about the most damaging teachings, books, and beliefs in Christian marriage. They also were able to slice and dice the data on rates of sexual pain, rates of vaginismus, rates of of orgasm frequency, all of these things. Now here, listen to this. Christian women have a 47-point orgasm gap compared to Christian men. That means that men orgasm 47 points higher than the rate of Christian women. It's almost half. So So 47 orgasms for them and one for us. Or is it 98 
97 orgasms for them to 43 for us, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So oh, it's, it's, uh-huh. it's roughly half, but the gap, yes. yeah. the gap is 47 points between the orgasm rate for women as always, or almost always versus the orgasm rate for men as almost or always, almost always. So tell me if we are talking about a thriving married sexual life, what does the data say about who is withholding sex from their spouses? It ain't the women. Hmm. In fact, the data, the data shows that if we are talking about sexuality as mutual lovemaking, not just penetrative, penetrative intercourse, right. but mutual lovemaking, yes. satisfactory lovemaking, where both people are having a mutually bonding, intimate, spiritual, sacred, beautiful sexual experience, then half of the time, the women are the ones who are being denied sure. and are having it withheld. So that would mean that it is not the women who are withholding sex from the husbands the way it is traditionally taught. If you want to take that one text and cherry pick it, the data says it's the other way around. The women are the ones who are not getting the sex. So interesting, right? Because it's not just, it's not, it's not right. They, they may be getting the sex, but they're not having the sexual, the rich sexual experience. They're not having the the sexual fulfillment. Right. And, And really, honestly, if it's just about penetrative intercourse. And I know we're, we're getting like really clinical here, but if it's just about the penetration that makes us no bigger than animals, that's just, that's just animalistic base function. That's not right. Lovemaking. That's not. And beautiful sexuality as God intended. And a huge percentage of women actually physically cannot orgasm from simply from only penetration. Yes, exactly. So, and that is also a huge amount of that. Okay. Taking that another data piece of data, that a statistic that's come out of this book. I highly recommend it. Great sex rescue. It's, it's on my, on my advocacy resources list on my page, which is a free download along with all the other books I recommend, but shameless plug. That's fine. That's That's fine. fine. (laughs) We're going to put all the links, all the links in the 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 show notes. Yep. All right. But here's another piece of information that came out of this study of 22,000 Christian women. And that is evangelical Christian women experience twice the rate of sexual pain and vaginismus as the general population. And they were able to drill down to the teachings, the evangelical teachings in the Christian church that actually cause that pain, the the double pain rate for women. And the biggest one is duty sex, that it is your obligation to have sex with him, to make sure he doesn't watch porn, doesn't stray, doesn't have an affair, doesn't get foggy in his mind and lose his ability to think clearly because he hasn't had sex in the last 72 hours. All of these myths, all of these myths are not substantiated by actual data and the teachings of duty and obligation sex as a way for you to control his sexual faithfulness actually cause twice the rate of vaginal pain and sexual pain for women inside the church. So from that perspective, women in the church have it bad, seriously bad. And the data stands on its own. Seriously bad. I guess I just, 
I, it's for me who is not a religious person and I don't have a, have a connection to a church. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have in the past of in and out. This is like kind of no big, I mean, it's not, no, not a big surprise. It's, it's all very surprising and shocking, but it's not really a surprise to me. Right. But for right. someone who is actually in a faith-based community, like we talked mm-hmm. about and mm-hmm. has been, has been, might be listening to this and feeling like everything they've ever believed is just sort of cascading and caving in on them, but also feeling like, oh, I feel heard and seen and understood. Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the solution? What do they do? (sighs) So, so first of all, I do want to make a clarification and I really appreciate that you just shared your background, Mm -hmm. but and so I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Right. I am a woman in right. the church. Right. And while I'm sharing some things that are harshly critiquing aspects inside the Christian faith community that I believe are betraying the interests of God, they are not what God intended. I am not saying these things in a way to just dog on the faith community. And I want to make that super clear. Yes. I used to be a clergy spouse for many years. I was a single mom for a number of years. And although I am remarried, I am still a woman in the church and I work within the faith community. What I want is to, to do two things. One, to call the faith community to recognize where we have failed women and men, because honestly, all of this is insulting to men too. Absolutely. It's it's not just dangerous for women. It's insulting to men. And I think we deserve that our, our women and our men inside the faith community deserve so much better. So yes. my first desire is to call the faith community to be humble enough to recognize where we failed so that we can rebuild it, so that we can, we can change it. And my second is to answer the question of the woman that you just that you just outlined. Mm-hmm. And that is if you're sitting there and you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness. Like this is my life. She's she's telling my life. Has she been in my house? Has she been in my head? Like what's going on?" I want you to know that there are resources. There is help. There is an entire wild warrior tribe of women who love Jesus, who love their families, who want to do things in a way that is godly and driven by their faith, regardless of where they're at in deconstructing or reconstructing what that faith looks like. But they are women of conscience, women of character, women of integrity. And and, and we are traveling together to rediscover how God truly intended these things to look. And you may be listening to this and realizing these things, and you may have the kind of relationship where you can go tell your husband and he will listen. Yeah, There's a possibility that someone is listening right now and you have the kind of relationship where maybe you guys have been getting it wrong in this area, but your husband doesn't want to get it wrong. And once he knows better, he's willing to do better. And you can share this information with him and you'll thrive and grow. And, and maybe that's not your situation. And you're listening to this and you're like, wow, this has just made so many things come crystal clear to me. And I need to find safety because I'm not safe. And, and maybe you're listening to this and you're just sitting there 
and you're thinking, I've got to chew on this for a while. I might need to chew on this for a month. It might be six months. It might be another year or two. I just need to learn more. And there are resources for you to educate yourself and find out more. And and I know we want to make these available to you at the end of the podcast, And but you are not alone. Yeah. Yeah. If this applies to you, you are not alone. Yes. And I, and I love what you said about you're, you're calling, you're calling the church to reckon with this in exactly the same way that you were calling on church leaders to reckon with the men who are yes. come to them, right? Like that is, yes. that is how we love like Christ, right? Is that we yep. say to, we do the same thing to the church. Mm-hmm. To say this is this is not okay, and these are the structural problems, and this is how it is anti anti Christ. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not what I mean, against but it is Christ. Against, it is against. This is this is yes. this is misrepresenting the character of God. Yes, which honestly is blasphemy. Right. Yeah, and that's going to be a hard pill for some some church leaders to swallow. Yes. Right. Yes. So if, if, if your church, if you go and you try to, to, to share this with your church and your church leaders just won't be having any of it, mm-hmm. then my concern would be that you recognize that there are other church structures out there that are not abusive. And if your church leaders aren't having any of it and they refuse to recognize that they may have bought into some abusive infrastructures and that they are controlling or that they have been controlling and they're not willing to course correct mm-hmm. and to change trajectory so that they do reflect God, mm-hmm. then that is an abusive faith community. You are living in an abusive infrastructure and there are other people who love Jesus and who want to teach truth who are committed to not being abusive. Now, that doesn't mean you won't find flawed humans everywhere. You will. Mm-hmm. We're we're stupid humans who screw up everywhere. That's kind of but the point. not. <laughs> that's kind of the point. But right. not all faith organizations are committed to to in a, perpetrating an abusive structure. Yeah, and it's okay to find one that isn't. Yes, and is this is this the, the abuse that you when you talk about spiritual abuse is the, is this what we're talking about the the abuse in the church or? Yes. And more. I I wouldn't say yes and no. Yeah. Signs here, here are six or seven signs of spiritual abuse. And this is from the systems of abuse chart that I am giving away free to your listeners today. So I want to plug that. I have a free giveaway for your listeners today, Kate, and that is the systems of abuse chart. So there are 13 forms of domestic violence. They are all considered domestic violence by domestic violence experts, even the ones that don't leave bruises. And spiritual abuse is one of those. So here's here's some examples of spiritual abuse. Twisting scripture to avoid accountability. Uh (laughs) Using their beliefs to gain advantage over others in a way that gives them more power. Mm. Leveraging spiritual leaders against you. Uh Silencing you with Bible verses. believing that you need them to teach you about God because God is not big enough to teach you about him himself. And you, because of your gender or whatever, are not competent enough to study the Bible and participate in the Holy Spirit's teaching on your own, that you need them to explain everything to you. Right. And of course, in a way way that 
that perpetuates their power over you. That leverages their power. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And and that really is, is what that boils down to is infantilizing women, Mm -hmm. treating women as children instead of treating women as partners and competent adults. Eve was not Adam's baby. He did not have to teach her everything. She learned beside him from God as they walked in the garden. Mm. So this whole idea that in some circles that women need to uh, have men instruct them spiritually because women cannot participate in learning on their own or study on their own reliably is a myth that is not. Paul's very clear Good that God. there is no, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's not male or female. There's when we come to the foot of the cross, we are all equal and the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to teach women just as well as men. Mm-hmm. So that is absolutely a spiritually abusive, control-oriented, exploitation and power-oriented type of approach. Mm-hmm. It would be the same if your pastor is like, you, you can't study that. You need me to teach you. Mm-hmm. Because even Paul in the New Testament talked about how he admired the Bereans. The Bereans were a group of people that when he went to teach them, they didn't take anything Paul said for, they didn't take Paul's word for it. They went home and they studied the scriptures. Mm. And he was like, these guys are great. They don't even take what I say. They go home and they study it for themselves. So if Paul was saying, hey, don't even take it from me, go home and study it. And this is the apostle Paul. Then yeah. how much more should your pastor or your husband be saying, study it for yourself, babe. Right. Or your pastor shouldn't be saying, babe. But, you know, but we got you, we got you, but you get what I'm saying, right? (laughs) Go study it for yourself. Go and own your own beliefs based on your own study. You do not need a human to teach you as a replacement for your relationship with God. Mm. You don't need an intercessor between you and God and other soul destroying behaviors, soul sucking behaviors related to faith and religion. So those are all forms of spiritual abuse, but see, and, and here's where this really all of the 12 spokes around this chart, mm. and, and that's child abuse, cultural abuse, verbal abuse, psychological, intellectual, pets and property, financial, social, sexual, all spiritual, all of these things, mm-hmm. they all center around a hub in the middle. And that is the entitlement to power. Yes. Yep. So someone who believes that they are entitled to power will be abusive. And what makes it worse is when they interpret scripture as backing up their perceived entitlement to power. So they're using their belief system as a weapon to make other people fall into line under their control. Mm. And so someone who has this incredible entitlement to power is going to create chaos. Like they're going to gain control by turning people against each other. We see this in faith communities all the time. Leaders pitting factions of people against Mm. each other or busybodies Mm. in the church even who are abusive people. Someone who is addicted to power and control is going to be a credit hog. They're going to take others' ideas. They're going to not share the glory. They're going to not give credit where credit is due. They may have delusions of grandeur. They're going to believe that they're smarter or wiser or stronger or more powerful than they really actually are. Mm -hmm. They're going to dictate the belief system to everyone in the household or their community, or they're going to tear down other people who don't believe just like them, even out in the community, and act like they are elite because they believe a certain way. And everyone who doesn't believe like them is just stupid, mm-hmm. not with the program. We see right. this in politics. 
I mean, I'm not getting into politics, but we see these systems in politics. Someone who is entitled, who acts as if others should give way to their preferences or just take care of their needs, and it never goes both ways. Uh, Someone mm -hmm. who is a supremacist, who looks down on culture, color, gender, age, status, or whatever it is. They think their own identity, the identity is superior. Someone who has a power complex may be obsessed with respect. They may get aggressive to peers or children mm -hmm. or even the elderly or people unlike them who act with perceived disrespect. And this can be something as simple as someone flipping out on a waitress or yes. a cash register clerk because they feel like they've been disrespected somehow. They, the person didn't do things their way. And then they, they just have a rage moment. That's not an anger management problem. It's, a, it's an entitlement problem. It's an abuse problem. And the last one is someone who is fixated on appearances, who expects other people to keep secrets and maintain this glossy public image, regardless of what rot and corruption is inside. So, and, and that's not comprehensive. Those are just examples. <laughs> Those are, right. This is right. not a comprehensive list. And that last one is so, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot with my clients and in my groups, right? That like that last one about like keeping up appearances, what that, mm -hmm. what that shows is that they actually know that the behavior inside yes. the home is wrong. Yes. Otherwise they would just do it everywhere. Right. But right. if they know enough to know not to do it in front of other people, then they know it's not right. Yes. Lundy Bancroft it breaks that mm -hmm. down really, mm -hmm. really well in his mm -hmm. books. What, why does he do that? Yeah. I was talking to someone just the other day who was trying to figure out like, how come I can speak to my husband and say, this hurts me, this bothers me over and over and over again, and he just doesn't get it. Like, is there something mentally wrong? Like, should, should I be like having compassion because he cannot grasp this? I'm like, okay, here's, Here's how you break that down. Does he function acceptably at work? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can he adjust course when his boss gives him a changed set of instructions? Yes. Does he get along well enough with his friends to still have friends? And is he able to course correct socially when he's around people who actually matter and are important to him? Yes. Then it is not a mental illness issue. It is not a competency issue. He just doesn't believe you deserve his respect, period. Right. He gives himself permission to mistreat you because of his belief system. Mm -hmm. And also he doesn't think that it matters. He doesn't, he doesn't think that, yeah. you know, you matter. I, he doesn't, he doesn't think that you matter, but also he, he thinks that he can continue to get away with it because he has yes. been. And yes. that's what, that's what, you know, I always tell the story that two weeks after I finally ended my marriage, my ex came to me and he said, I'm so sorry. I, I just never thought you'd leave, <laughs> which told me everything <laughs> I needed to know. Right. Wow. Isn't that hilarious? Right. And wow. I looked at him, I was like, you've got that's to be so shitting sad. me. Yeah. I was like, so, so, the whole, so you knew the whole time you knew, right. And you could have changed it, but you just didn't think you had to. And so, so that's when I hear, when I hear, when, when people are that inward outward thing, it's, it's mm -hmm. all of the things it's, they don't respect you. They don't believe that, you know, that you deserve better. They, all of those things. And they don't think you're going to do anything about it. And yes. up until now, 
they have you been correct. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I want to talk about, this is something that is actually a rubric developed by Psalm 82 Initiative. So I just want to throw them out. I don't know if you've followed them, but if your followers haven't followed Psalm 82 Initiative on Facebook, check them out. Okay. And this is a rubric developed by them and they've given me permission to share it. So That's great. there are four tools that every abuser uses in every abusive context. And there are four abusive relational elements. And this is really what you were talking about. This is uh-huh. why I wanted to bring this up. Yeah. Great. So the first abusive relational element is entitlement, right? Yep, 100%. So the, the benefit to the abuser is that they have the privilege and, and the victim has the painful experience of injustice and unfairness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the second, I'm just giving you like a bird's eye yeah. view overview Go of this. Yep. The second abusive relational element is control. Mm-hmm. And that gives the, it gives security to the privilege for the mm-hmm. abuser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the victim experiences insecurity and fear. Right. When entitlement and control intersect and crisscross, you get the third abusive relational element, and that is coercion. Mm-hmm. And this is where that the security of that privilege now becomes power over, and the victim experiences it as oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is a fourth relational element in the abusive system. And every abusive system relies on this element to be present in order for it to function smoothly. Now, it may not function pleasantly, but for it to function smoothly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is compliance on the part of the victim. Yep. Now, I'm not saying this to victim blame. I'm not saying that the victim, that the victim's compliance is what causes the entitlement, the control or coercion. What I'm saying is, that as long as you're compliant with the abusive system, you will not see how bad it can get because it will function smoothly in the abusive system on some level, as long as you're going along with it. Which is why the danger increases when you decide to leave. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you remove compliance is when you need a professional safety plan Yes, because you may not have seen how what this person is capable of yet because you've never removed compliance before. So interesting. That's a really, does that make sense though? Yes, it does. So so when there is compliance in place, the abuser's privilege, which is backed up by the security, and then they have had that power over, it gives them victory. Mm. Right. And the the victim experiences defeat and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. When you remove that compliance, you start to get to get your your sense of autonomy and, and your personhood back, but you also enter into the most dangerous season. Yeah, because that is when there is fruit basket upset on the relational system, and it may have been unpleasant, but it's still been functioning. And then you throw a cog in the wheels. So now here's the other thing: there are four tools, and then and then we'll be like all done with this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Enough to chew on for one day. Yes. A lot. Okay. So the four tools of abuse. And again, this is a bird's eye view. Check out Psalm 82 initiative. Mm -hmm. If you want Mm -hmm. in depth drilled in, we'll put that in the show on each of these. They have, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. There are four tools. The first one, and this one is usually present in an abusive relationship or an abusive system before there is commitment. This is the one that starts from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and that is isolation. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So the abuser fosters allegiance to themselves while they're excluding or diminishing other important relationships. Baby, it's you and me against the world. If it's a church, we have the truth. They don't. You need to be with us. Anything out there is suspect. Your family doesn't understand you. You should really probably not confide so much in your mom. Your, Your friends just don't get it. I'm the only one who really gets how you feel. Just talk to me instead. Why are you going out with them? And it escalates from there. Yep. And the victim begins to feel more and more alone and rejected and helpless. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at first, it feels like love. Yes. At first, right. it feels like specialness. At yes. first, it feels like being chosen. The second one is deflection. In deflection, imagine this as if the abuser has this big shield in front of them and it's got a force field. Mm-hmm. So everything that is negative or unpleasant or is blame, it bounces off. Uh-huh. All the bad stuff bounces off to me and onto somebody else. There's always someone else responsible. It was the job. It was the boss. It was the headache. It was the, the childhood trauma. It was anything. It was what you did. It you. was what the kids said. <laughs> it was, you. It was right. you. It was you. I would never have slammed the kid into the wall if they hadn't been crying for two hours. It was the kid. Right. Anything like that, that is deflection instead of, I did it. This is my fault. I made the choice. So the victim feels guilty, but also indignant and oftentimes sympathetic. Oh my goodness. You went through all of that trauma. I need to explain away the reason you're a complete horrible person to everyone around you or to some people around you because you have a reason to be horrible that isn't your choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So isolation, deflection, manipulation is the same concept as as deflection, but it's in reverse. That big force field shield that they're holding up, this one has a magnet instead of a force field. Mm. All the good stuff comes to me. Mm. The credit, it's mine. The good public image, it's mine. The, The getting out of this scrape smelling like roses and shifting the blame off on someone else, it's mine. So the manipulation bolsters the public image or traps the victim into acting according to the abuser's interests. They get their way and they always come out smelling like roses. They always come out on top and everyone else always ends up apologizing. So the victim feels cornered and crazy and confused. And then the fourth one and the last one is intimidation. Mm -hmm. Intimidation is where there are threats or actions that get compliance. Right. Now. A lot of times we'll have women, the women I work with, maybe the women you work with too, they're like, but he never actually hit me. Oh my God. He I was hear it all the time. He was I never hear it all the time. He was never violent. He was never aggressive. Okay. So let me ask you this. Did you scurry around cleaning things up and getting things done just so before he came home? Because if you didn't, he'd be having the, the, the silent treatment for a week. That's intimidation. If you're bending over backwards to do something in order to avoid a consequence, even if the consequence is not violent or aggressive or physically assaulting, it's intimidation. Yeah. So when you have isolation, deflection, manipulation, intimidation, whether that is the pattern of leadership in your church Mm -hmm. or your belief system or Mm -hmm. your marriage or your family of origin or your workplace or your friendship group or whatever, That is an abusive system. So these are not limited to domestic or intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. These are in any systemic context. So this way we remove it from, well, you just hate men. No, 
This isn't about men. This isn't about trying to get power like away from women or to women. This is, this is about the system Mm -hmm. and being able to recognize the infrastructure, the framework that it is built around. And once you have these tools, you can see it anywhere. Yes. And very often, if you've been raised in it, you ha- you recognize it and have chosen it in so many other areas of your life that yes. when you start to see it, you're going to see it everywhere and it's going to feel really overwhelming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that like, that's normal, right? It is perfectly Absolutely. normal that you Absolutely. may see this in a number of places. And that when you start to, when you start to shift those things for yourself, they start to shift in all relationships and all aspects right. and all the systems of which you are a part. Correct. Absolutely. And that's why my team and what we do, that's why yes. you do what you do, is why we, what we do at WILD, and that stands for Wilderness to WILD, out of the wilderness, into the WILD, guiding women on that journey. Mm-hmm. That's why we do what we do, coaching, online courses. I just launched a a full six-module, 36-video lessons course called Shiro, Your Wild Guide to Warrior After Abuse. Mm, And we have a ton of giveaways and resource lists for parents, protective moms parenting through trauma, for betrayal trauma, if you've just discovered infidelity or porn addiction or something like that in your marriage, for leaders, how to develop a sexual misconduct policy for your organization, Mm -hmm. how to have like an abuse decision tree. What do I do next? Yes, no, do this. Yes, no, do that. Wow. So we have all kinds of those things as well as workshops and training events and retreats and so on because there are women everywhere who are experiencing this and they're like, oh my goodness, I need more information yes. or I'm going to drown. Yep. Yep. And you have also on, on your website, everything will be in the show notes, but you have such an incredible list of free resources, just tons and tons of. We try to do that. And, and there's like 300 videos on YouTube too. Yeah. YouTube channel. So yeah. amazing. Amazing. Tons tons. You are such a wealth of information. I could literally talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just about have, but we, but we almost have, and we also have children that we need. To yes, I think I have of. one hovering at the you edge do, of the door. You do. You have one right now. I do. I do. I do. So it's all good. It's all good. This is, I call it pandemic podcasting because this is like, (laughs) yes, we have our kids at home. We've got like, whatever. This is just what it is. We roll with it. It's real life. It's real life. There is no glossy public image here. (laughs) Certainly not on my end. (laughs) Nope. 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 Oh my gosh, Sarah. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I am. Me too. I am so thrilled. So where can people find you? What's your website? So my website is wwwwilderness to wild three words that's spelled out T-O, wilderness to wild.com. It's just think of the slogan out of the wilderness into the wild, wilderness to wild.com. I'm also Sarah McDougall or Sarah McDougall author on Facebook. I have very active on Facebook, Sarah McDougall on Twitter, Sarah McDougall on Instagram. And I spell Sarah with an H and I spell McDougall very interestingly. So it's S-A-R-A-H-M-C-D-U-G-A-L. No extra letters. So yeah, it's all there. 
And it's all in the show notes. So don't panic all if, right. you, if you missed that and, and didn't write it down. There, Everything will be linked in the show notes. And oh, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, for, you. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh my goodness. You too. I, I want to take your work and just sprinkle it like, like fairy dust over <laughs> every church and every religious institution and just like poof. <laughs> if only it were, it were that easy. If only it were that easy. Yeah. You know what? We each do our part. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for hanging with me for over a year of trying to get me on the podcast. I think it was worth it though. It was worth it. And I was happy to do it. And I am just Thank you. truly happy to see you healthy and thank you. On the other thank side you. Of this. So yeah. Amen. Well, I'm glad to be here on the other side of it. Yes. Chemo is a bear. Don't ever want to do that again. All righty. Yes. All right, love. I will talk to you soon. Yes. All right. Have a wonderful week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.